0: So tonight we come out of whatever this day has been like, and we come together tonight to acknowledge that you are a God of miracles, and we pray tonight, Father, that through the Holy Spirit, whatever the need is in every person who's here and everyone who is watching online, that by the Spirit you'll take this word and you will minister to us. Those that need encouragement, that they will be encouraged. Those that need correction, they'll be corrected. Those that just need to hear a word from you. Some of them are desperate tonight, Lord. And they need to know that they can make it. So we're asking you by your word and by the spirit of God to minister to us what we need to hear tonight. And as always, I just trust myself to you to take what I know you put in my heart and the word that you've given to us and just to trust that to you that you would deposit that as only you can in the hearts and minds of everyone within the sound of my voice and for this we give you thanks in Jesus name amen and amen well welcome those of you that are watching online we're glad that you're with us before we get in the word I just want to acknowledge a couple of people tonight I just just in my heart to to express our thanks to Rodney and Gladys for their faithfulness for all this time on Wednesday nights to come and, and to just lead us into worship. And, and they were here, I was thinking as we were, began to worship tonight. I remember nights when COVID began. And the only one of us in the room was Pastor Ray, Rodney and Gladys, me, Mike and the, doing the TV, and two cameramen. And that was it. And we were able to continue church because of their faithfulness, and they have been faithful through all of this, and I just want to personally thank you. You are an encouragement to me and to us. Praise the Lord. Well, we've already prayed over the Word. Um, there are times you have a message that God just gives you, and this is something that's been, been growing in me. There's a, a, you know, one of the things I've been praying about, well, as we go through this transition, what is, what is, what, what is afterwards for me? I'm not disappearing, but my role will change. Lord, what is it there's still so much in me, and I just, my, my wife has been after me for a long time, and mm-hmm. Pastor Chris has been after me to take some of these teachings and put them in book form. And so that's one of the things that I believe that I'll be doing, and one of them will be the course we've done, just done recently on renewing the mind. But God's keeps alerting me that don't get stagnant in the things that you've taught before, because he's always growing and changing with us, and I'm growing and changing, and and God wants whatever we do to be current. So what I'm going to, going to begin to talk about tonight, and I don't know how many other opportunities I'll have to do this, but I want to talk about, it's like a second phase to renewing the mind that God's begin to open my, my eyes to. And so this has been stirring in my heart And as I was praying about what, what to do tonight and the next time I do this, is, is, um, was to begin to get into this. And as we do it, we'll begin to develop. But then every once in a while you have a day <laughs> where the message you prepared you realize is for you. Do you ever have one of those days when you just get one series of bad news after another? Am I the only one? No. Maybe it's the people online. That's what it is. It's just you, you. You turn around and of course with text and emails now. You know the the problem. You just think you've gotten solved, and then the washing machine breaks, and and it's just and then. And the Lord just brought me back, son. You need to listen to what you've got to say tonight as much as anybody else. So we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about renewing the mind. And where we've talked before, primarily about how your mind works biblically, not physiologically, um, where your mind how it fits into the design that God had for you. Um, we're going to talk about what to renew your mind. Too. We talk a little bit about that at the end. And this is something that God has been really opening my eyes to. Um, so, in this series, we talked before, we talked more about the process of renewing your mind, the process of how your mind works and learning to get a hold of your thoughts and, and those kinds of things. And we, we looked at three concepts thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And the key in there is the concept of an imagination or a reasoning. And we taught this course, we, there, were, there were two graphics that we used, so if you could put the first one up. This was a cat. This was a... I didn't put the picture up. This is taken from a page that, that we used for our kids called Connect the Dots, and we talked about in Renewing the Mind that your mind th- thinks in a series of thoughts that then your mind collects together and forms some kind of image, and then you respond or react to that image. And it can be an image of what God's like, which is what we're going to talk about, an image of what you're like, an image of what your spouse is like, an image of what's going to happen. And it's, not, it's made up of a series of thoughts that your mind has connected together to form an image. Unfortunately, our minds often gets assistance from Satan to tell us how to connect these dots together because he has a vested image, vested interest in forming images in your mind that allow him to accomplish in you what he wants wants to do. So this is an example of connecting the dots the wrong way, and that kind of looks like a monster. So if you put the next slide up, this is just to remind you. This is connecting the dots in the right order, and it forms some kind of image of a cat. And your mind works this way all the time. Every thought that you get into your mind and you receive in your mind is intended to form some kind of image and when we came towards the end of that course, we talked about being purposeful in this. So you purposely choose what image that you want to create, and then you put dots in your mind, thoughts that will put together and create create that image. Now, what I begin to discover is that is that, that These images, we talked about this before, these images, if they stay there long enough, if you act on them long enough, they become a stronghold, and those strongholds are things that control you. What I've been learning is that Satan wants to create strongholds in your mind whether it's a stronghold of fear, a stronghold of failure, a stronghold of, you know, this is never going to work, a stronghold of I'm never going to get anywhere. Whatever that image or stronghold that he forms in your mind, it's like a castle. And in the old days, they would build these castles, these strongholds, and the army would dwell inside that castle because it was a safe place, prepare their strategies, and from inside that stronghold, they would go out and do battle. And the strongholds that Satan tries to form in your mind, he, his spirits dwell in those. And then they want to haunt you. They want to influence you. They want to work their will through those strongholds. So it's very important that we learn how to tear those strongholds down. But God wants to build strongholds in your mind. And so we talked about this Is kind of where we, where we ended up. So we're going to be examining, we, we are examining now, the thoughts and imaginations and strongholds that God has for us. Since your mind controls, we learned this before, your mind controls what goes into you and it controls what goes out of you. Your mind is a gate. If you don't understand something, it never gets in you. Or if you ever heard a teaching, and and I have this happen sometimes, I I hear a teaching and it doesn't line up with what I believe or what I've been taught before, my mind just resists it. It just doesn't get in. If it, it, it's, I've been learning there's some some thoughts that come to us from God's Word, and I don't let them in because if I let them in, then I've got to do them. <laughs> I'll let that just kind of sit. <laughs> and so, but my point is our mind controls what we let into us, and it also controls what we allow God to bring out of us. So the Spirit of God moves on you to do something. And you get this inspiration in you to do it, and once it gets to the level of your mind, your mind is intended by God to figure out how to carry out that will, but our unrenewed mind starts figuring out what that's going to cost me. And now I get into common sense and and reasonings, and they will eventually talk you out of doing what God told you to do. So we covered all of that. But I want to begin to look at this from a little different perspective tonight. Since your mind controls what goes into you and what comes out of you, these thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds determine what God is able to flow in you and what God is able to flow through you. It's interesting as I began to look at this to realize how many times Jesus confronts the thought patterns of his disciples, Jesus confronts the thought patterns of his disciples. Uh, there's a verse I want to quote to you. I forgot to give it to them to put it up there, but it's in Second It's in Philippians two, verse five. It says, "Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus." Now, I've very often, thank you, real quick. I very often heard this taught. As what this means is we have the same mental capability that Jesus has. Well, after all, I've got the mind of Christ. That's not what he's saying. Because he's going to go on. We're not going to look at this tonight. We may look at it later on. He goes on to tell you what that mind is, what that mindset is. Because what he says is, have this mind in you which also is in Christ Jesus. Because although he was equal with although he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, he humbled himself. So it's a mind attitude that Jesus had towards himself and towards God, and Paul is telling us to have this same mindset, this same method of thinking, this same image of who God is and who we are that Christ has, and we'll talk about that a little, a little later. So Jesus was regularly confronting and challenging the way his disciples thought. Not just what they thought, but the way they thought. He was challenging their image that they had of God and of his ways. What God is like and what God can do. So one of these images, and in most of us it's a stronghold, One of these images we have formed in our mind and it started when you were a child because you developed some kind of mental image of what a father was based on your father. You may have not ever known your father, but that's an image that was left in there, that he's distant, that you don't know where he is. Maybe you had a father at home, but he was physically there, but he was emotionally distant. Maybe you had a father there that traumatized you or caused all kinds. All of those created thoughts in your mind that formed images, very subtle in many ways, of what a father is. And now you come to Christ, and we begin to hear and read scriptures about God as our father, and your mind immediately takes that image you have, and again, it's often very subtle, and begins to transpose that on to what the word says about the father, God as your father. And that image you have filters what you're able to receive from God's word, about God's love for you and who God is as your father. There are some men in the Old Testament that had, a, had a, a good, healthy image of what God was like, but most people in the Old Testament did not. One of them that had a good image of what God was like, that knew God, was King David. King David was able to operate in a relationship with God that was beyond the Old Testament law, because he he understood and had an appreciation for who God was in his character and nature. Moses was another example of that. So put Psalm 103, verse 7 up. And by the way, it was King David that knew God that was able to recognize this about Moses. God made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. Israel knew what God did and what God said, but they didn't know his ways. I've often used as an example that, that Anita and I used to, we don't do it very much anymore, but we used to enjoy dancing. She still loves. We go on vacation and somewhere out and they're playing music. Sometimes we've done it in our kitchen. And, and we'll just dance together. And what happens is, is I don't tell her Um, I'm about to move my left foot forward, so you need to move your right foot back. I don't tell her what I'm going to do. She knows me well enough. She's sensitive to the movement that she can flow just with me. And David knew God well enough Certainly didn't know him perfectly. Well enough so he understood God's ways, how he could approach God. Moses, because Moses stood face to face with God on several occasions and argued with God. You better know God's ways when you're going to argue with him and live. And so, so they're, they're, they're images, they had images, healthy images of who God is. But Israel, who was in a covenant with God, had no idea what God was like and as a result, they were unstable and all over the place. So this is very important, very important. The law, the the Old Testament law, revealed God as a judge. But Jesus came to introduce him as our father. Satan and his world system, and this includes religion, have established strongholds and images that oppose the true image of God, and the key scripture here is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we've used these, talked about these before when we talked about renewing the mind. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, verse 5. Casting down arguments, King James says imaginations, that's the word we use for the images but the Greek word there, arguments, literally means a system of reasoning that presents or defends a concept or an idea. So Paul is saying that we are to cast down a system of thinking and of processes or images and every other high thing, and look what they do. They exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So Satan is at work in this world right now, and Satan is trying to be at work in your life and in your thinking, to construct in you systems of thinking and images and thought processes that, that exalt themselves against truly knowing what God is like. The only people Jesus really got angry at in his earthly ministry were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why was he so angry at them? Because they taught a system of rules and regulations that actually created a block, an interference between God's people and him. It taught a bunch of rules, a bunch of rules and regulations that took the law that God gave them that were ten commandments and built 618, I think it is, rules around those ten commandments to the point of how you had to wash your ceremonial cup the right direction. And you can see examples of this when you see Jesus in the, in the, in the temple or other places on the Sabbath healing. There's a great story where he heals this woman who was bent over for 18 years, and he sets her free. And they get mad that he set her free on the Sabbath. He broke one of their rules. We'll say, but it was in God's commandments. But God's heart is to deliver us and to set us free. So here you have Jesus, the word of saying, saying that God's heart for this woman is more important than the Sabbath. So their rules, their regulations, their system of reasoning, their religious system of reasoning was creating an image of what God was like that was keeping God's people from him. And he got angry at that, very angry at that. Everybody else he was merciful and kind and soft with. So, not always soft, but merciful and kind. So these arguments, these are systems of reasoning, patterns of thought, and they're not accidental. They come from Satan because they're designed to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in order to bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience, into the obedience of Christ. I want to talk for a minute about this image This image that we need, why it's so important. So let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter, obviously. Grace and peace be multiplied. I like this. Not added, but grace and peace. Could you use more peace right now? (laughs) Could the world use more peace? Can the church use more peace? Could you use more peace tonight and more grace? Well, here's how you receive it. It's multiplied to you through the knowledge of God, of what God is like, of God's ways, of the correct image of God, of how God thinks. It's multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going. As his divine, listen, let's just sink in. As his divine power, this is the power of God, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So do a just quick inventory of yourself. Is your life right now filled with the life of God and his godliness, his peace, his grace? And how do we receive that? His power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and how is it received? Through the knowledge of him who's called us by glory and virtue, next verse, by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world. And all of this God's given to us through his power and through his word, but it cannot be received until we change the image we have of God, of what he's really like. Why? Because our mind blocks it up. It doesn't fit into the image. It doesn't fit into the image. So if you've been formed an image that God is angry, that God wants you to prove yourself and test yourself, then you're going to interpret everything that you receive of the grace of God, of love of God, in terms of that. It will filter it out. And why are those images in your mind? Satan has sown those into your mind so that they will exalt themselves to keep out the knowledge of what God is really like and how God thinks. So this is very, very important. This is why Jesus kept challenging his disciples and challenging the strongholds that were in their minds. And remember, none of these were educated men. These were, by and large, They were either farmers or the ones we know of were fishermen. So they weren't educated. We know they weren't educated because in Acts, it refers to the fact, how can these uneducated men speak such? And then they concluded, well, they must have been with Jesus. Jesus wasn't educated. They marveled at him, even when he was young. Where did he get such wisdom? Because he knew his father. And so his father's, his father's wisdom was able to be multiplied through him. Now, I was meditating on this one day, and it, it dawned on me that, that through a story we'll, we'll tell in a few minutes, that when God created man, he did create him with the mental capacity that God had at the time. Because man, God gave to man the assignment to name every creature that existed. Not just animals, but plants. So he had the mind of God. He saw things in the terms that God saw them in. He saw things in terms of the potential and the capability. But remember what Satan was able to get them to do? In fact, what does Satan start doing? How does he get entrance to to their mind. It's by getting them to accept thoughts about what God's like. Has God said that if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you're going to die? Because God knows something he didn't tell you that's trying to change their image of God. God's holding something back from you. God has an ulterior motive. He's trying to keep you from being like him which was a lie because he made them in his image. He's trying to keep you from being like him. He's he's sowing thoughts. And Eve did not resist those thoughts. She meditated on those thoughts, and she allowed them in. And she's allowing Satan to begin to form a contrary image of God that will now exalt itself against the true knowledge of God that they already had. God's trying to keep. He knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be just like him knowing good from evil. And here's the mistake they made. They chose, they chose, because what Satan was telling them, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, you can, you've got such a brilliant mind, you can exercise your own judgment You can take the mind God gave you for his service and you can exercise your own independent judgment about what God commanded you to do. And the temptation was, to we talked about this when we went through the renewing of the mind, is to exalt their mind over their spirit. And the moment they did that, they lost their ability to see and understand things the way God saw and understand things. They chose to rely on human wisdom, human knowledge, human way of understanding things and reject God's way of seeing things. And man has been struggling under that same limitation ever since the fall. This is why we live in a world right now that's dominated by human reasoning, we live in a world that's dominated by science. God created science, but not for science to determine what we believe and don't believe. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that was seeing what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith we understand it, not by scientific telescopes. And now they're disputing some of the things that the Hubble telescope comes up with. Why? Because it's man's reasoning trying to understand a universe that was not created by man, it was not created by reason, it was created by faith. And it's only by faith that we can truly understand what God had created. Not just the universe, but even ourselves. What we're here for. This is why men are so messed up, so confused. Even about what gender they are nowadays. Because they're trying to handle these things through human knowledge and human wisdom. And when you get that away from God, man's capable of thinking anything. And we're seeing living evidence of that. So now Jesus comes along. Jesus thinks like God thinks. Jesus thinks in the same terms that God thinks. And now he's called 12 men to follow him and to serve him. And there were 70 others, but the 12, the principal was. And when he finishes assignment here, he's going to leave this in their hands. And these are men that think like every other man does in the limitations. So we're going to look at three of these areas, and there are more. We're going to look at three of these areas where, where these men operated under the kind of limitations and the kind of images and limitations that we all do look look at God in terms of and circumstances in terms of. So the first one we're going to look at is in terms of what's possible. What's possible? Images and strongholds that Jesus challenged in them and challenges in us. And so the first is what's possible? Well, you know, we all know Scripture, and we're going to look at it. With God, all things are possible. But do you really believe that? you really believe that with God all things are possible? Oh, yeah, of course I do, up here, because we know what the scripture says. But do you really believe that in your heart? We sang about it tonight. Do you really believe it in your heart? So I got several pieces pieces of bad news today. Not terrible, but just... One piled on top of, just about the time I think we've got an answer to one thing, now another piece of bad news falls on top. And my first reaction is, I don't know what we're going to do. And then I had to go back to my message tonight. Jesus didn't think in the same terms that anybody else thought in. Remember, let us have this mind in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. We're called to think about circumstances the way God thinks about them. I'll give you another example from the Old Testament. What I'm talking about. David and Goliath. Wonderful children's story. You know, learned at night children's school when I was growing up in Sunday school and all this. And I was meditating on this one day. Actually, I wasn't no, I was in Bible school. And they were teaching about the blood covenant and used as an example, and my eyes just got open to it. Situation. You've got David. David is the youngest son of his father, Jesse. And his older brothers are in the armed services, and they're out in a time of war with the Philistines. And Saul is the king of Israel. He's also their commanding general. And they're lined up on one hill. And their enemy, the Philistines, who are trying to drive them out, are on the other hill. And the Philistines come up with a really simple way to conduct this battle because they have a champion whose name was Goliath. And Goliath, based on different calculations of what a cubit is, is somewhere between 9 and 12 feet tall. And Goliath has this heavy armor on. He carries a spear. I'm not going to go through the story, but the spear, the head of the spear was 16 pounds. He's got a heavy piece of, of, of helmet on that had a piece of bronze front that goes down and covered as the vulnerable part of your skull, which is right up in here. And he had a shield bearer in front of him. And so he would come out twice a day, and make this demand, he would insult the Israelites. And he would call them the army of, Israel, army of Saul, and he would insult them and say, you don't have, if you have anybody who comes out and can defeat me, then we'll all surrender. But if I defeat your man, then you'll surrender to me. And he came out twice a day for 40 days. And the brave Israeli soldiers were hiding in their camp for fear when they would hear him come out and make this challenge. And then David shows up. David's a teenager. He's mainly in charge of his father's sheep. And he shows up because his father has sent a care package to his brothers, some food and cheese and things like that and something for their commanders. And David shows up, and David's not a trained military man. But David has grown up out in the wilderness taking care of his father's sheep. And when you're out in the wilderness with a bunch of rebellious sheep, and all you've got is a shepherd's staff and at night there are animals that want to eat those sheep. We know at least there was a lion and a bear that came after them. David had to learn to know his God. The David, the, the man that wrote the 91st Psalm, didn't write that in a theological seminary. He didn't come up with it for a sermon. He learned it by, real, by living it out, out in that wilderness taking care of his father's sheep. So he began to know his God and know what his God would do for him. David shows up on the scene. And David sees the same thing everybody else saw. He hears this Goliath come out and make these threats, and whereas Saul, who's seven feet tall, and his commanding generals and his soldiers and his officers are all huddled back in the camp in fear because this this giant is threatening them. David sees this situation, hears the same thing, but David doesn't process what he sees and doesn't process what he hears through the same image that the army professional soldiers do. Because David hears what this man's threatening is, he's threatening the army that belongs to the God who has a covenant with them. David thinks in terms of the covenant that God made with Abraham generations before. And whereas Goliath says, who is this army that belongs to Saul? David stands up and says, you have accused the army that belongs to Almighty God. David saw things the way God saw them and saw the possibilities the way God saw them. So David says, I'll go after him." and all his brothers try to talk him out of it, and Saul's not so sure, puts his armor on him, and that's not going to work. David said, I don't, I've never trusted these things. But I know what I've learned to trust in. It's not the armor that you can put on me. I've learned to trust in my God and what he'll do. And so David takes what he was used to. He takes a sling and six five stones and picks them out. And he walks out into this battle, and the Goliath comes out again, and Goliath is insulted that these kids come out against him with no armor, because Goliath's looking at the situation in human terms, and David looks at Goliath. And after Goliath threatens him, David says, "Before this is over, I'm going to have your head." And David takes that stone, you know the story, and he just threw it up in the air. And I don't have time to go through the whole story again, but I believe I've got ample evidence that when he threw that up in the air, God took that stone and God drove that stone down into Goliath's head. David and Saul, and Saul's army, all saw the same thing. They all heard the same thing. The same facts went in their mind. But David saw and heard them through a mind that had been renewed to who God really is and what God's really like. And as a result, God was able to deliver Israel through a teenage boy who had no weapons other than a slingshot because he was allowed God to work through him because he didn't limit what God could do through the image that he had of God. Now, Jesus has these 12 guys who don't think like that. They worry about all kinds of things. So he's got to confront or challenge them. And actually, this begins with Jesus' birth. about what, what's, what is, what's the limit of what God's able to do? His very birth explodes the limits of what we understand is possible. An angel appears to a teenage girl and says, Behold, you're highly favored of God. Well, that's great. I can get that. And God has chosen you to bear in your womb the Messiah. And Mary goes, "Uh, Sir, i got a little problem here you may have overlooked. (laughs) I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. (laughs) And, And the angel's answer was, Oh, we didn't think of that. You're right. We'll just have to wait till you get married. No, the angel isn't moved about that. She says, How can this be? He says, The Spirit of God is going to come over you and overshadow you and will conceive in you the Son of God. I, you just can't begin to imagine what that must have done, done to her mind. And she says, Well, how can this be? I've never known a man. And the angel's answer is, With God, all things are possible. So he's saying to her, you're limiting what you think God can do here because the human experience is a woman cannot bear a son if she's never been with a man. So that can't be possible. And the angel said, yeah, but with God, see, God doesn't look in terms of what human limitation is. By the way, he created you out of nothing. So with God, this is not a problem. It's not hard. Now the key was her response, because she said, "Therefore, let it be done unto me. This is your handmaiden. Do with me what you choose." Now she had a relative who had a similar experience. It was an angel appeared to her, her, her cousin Elizabeth, and appeared to his, her husband, while he was serving as the priest in the temple, and she was past childbearing age, and the angel said, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son, and he's going to go before the Messiah, and Zechariah, her husband, basically wouldn't believe it, so the angel had to shut him up so he couldn't say anything contrary until after John the Baptist was born. So his very birth starts out with something that's absolutely beyond the limitations of human possibility. And that's how God starts this ministry on the earth. A couple places where Jesus confronts the thinking of man. Mark chapter 10. Jesus just had an encounter with a rich young ruler. And uh, he, the, the rich young ruler, when Jesus called him to follow him. And the rich young ruler says, that's fine. Whatever. And he said, all you have to do is you have to take everything you own, because he knew he was rich, and sell it, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And because he was very rich and he was not yet ready to do that, he walked away sorrowfully. And then Jesus turns around and says to his disciples, he's going to teach them something now, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, because he knows the hold it has on them. They've just seen it. Verse 24. And the disciples were astonished. seeing it confronts their thinking. The disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus answered again and said to them, see, he's changing their thinking. Children, how hard it is for those who trusted riches to enter the kingdom of God. Not those that have riches, those that trust in riches. And then he says this statement, which was well known, but just it jolted them. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And look at their response. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? So they must have had something. Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus looked at him and said, with men it's impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. What are you facing tonight? What is it that may look overwhelming to you? What if it may look impossible to you? Are you thinking in terms of human thinking, reasoning, experience as to what's possible? Let's look at another example here. Mark chapter 9, Jesus has been on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they've just seen... (laughs) They've just seen the most amazing thing they've ever seen. They say Jesus, whom they know. They've touched him. They've been with him. They sleep in the same camp with him. And he leaves them there. He goes over. And all of a sudden, his clothes are changed. And he begins to glory with the glory that he had originally before he became a man. And then Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking to one another. And Peter's so awestruck by this, he wants to build three tabernacles. He wants to preserve this experience. And then this ends, and Jesus comes over to them and says, don't tell anybody about this until after I've gone. They come down off the mountain after this incredible experience they've just had, supernatural experience, things that, that, that Peter talks about later, I can hardly describe in words. And they come down, and there's chaos in the camp because a father has brought his son to the disciples who's demon-possessed. The, disciple, the, the, the son is demon-possessed. And keeps the demon throws him into the fire into these, these probably epileptic, epileptic convulsions. And the father sees Jesus and runs, brings the son over to him, and basically says to him, uh, you know, your, your 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 disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus said, "Well, bring him to me." And Jesus said to them, to him, if you can believe. Well, the, 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 the verse before this, the father says, if you can, will you set my son free? So he's not convinced Jesus can do this because he just saw nine of the disciples fail. Jesus' answers, I love this, is, if I can, if I can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes so i 'm not what's limiting what can happen here. Your mind is what's limiting what can happen here. And then he makes this wonderful statement to Jesus, and Lord, I believe help help my unbelief. Another example of just Jesus operates outside the box of human thinking and reasoning. there's a point where there, Jesus finished ministering it's getting late he sends them to a boat to go to the other side of the lake and he goes up to pray. And about the third watch, I forgot exactly when it was, during the night, he comes walking to them on the water and a storm comes up. And they're in a boat. And these are professional fishermen who fish out on the water, so they're professional sailors. And the water's coming in the boat and they're scared. And it's about to get worse because they look up And they see a man walking towards them on the water. Now, the point here is this their senses are seeing Jesus walk on the water. But those senses, that visual sense, has to be interpreted in terms of what it means through their human mind. And their human mind is going to process things in terms of the limitations of human experience and human reason. And everybody knows, as a human being, you can't walk on water in a storm or in the calm. So they take this visual image, which is accurate, a man walking on the water, and their mind has to recompute this in terms of something that makes sense to them, so they say it must be a ghost, even though they see a man. And they cry out in fear. And Jesus has to correct them by saying, no, it is I. Literally in the Greek, he says, I am. And the moment he says, I am, they know who he is. And he says, be not afraid, be boldly courageous. Literally is what it says. Now in Matthew's account... Peter now sees who he is, sees that Jesus, a man, is walking on the water, and Peter's mind begins to expand a little beyond what human reasoning says, and he wonders, if he calls me, maybe I can do this too. See, a lot of times we laugh at Peter, but Peter stepped out of the boat. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. I often try to imagine what this must have looked like and what Peter, an experienced fisherman, it may have been his boat, has to put his legs over the side of the boat. Remember, it's a storm. And step out on that water. But it dawned on me one day in meditating on this, Peter did not step out on the water. He stepped out on the word "Come." Jesus spoke, and his words had the authority to carry out what the words say. Because Jesus is the Word. And when the word issues a word, if we'll obey it, that word has to come about. So Peter stepped out on the word "Come." and did something in human reasoning cannot be done. He walked on the water. Now we know the story. He got his eyes off of Jesus and off the word come. He began to look at the wind and the waves, and his mind began to come back to human reality and realize, I can't do this. Man can't do this. And the moment he did that... He began to sink. I wonder about how do you begin to sink? If you're not sure, uh, when the service is over, we'll go out in the pond back here and you step on it and let's watch you begin to sink. So that power must have slowly evaporated or left him. So this is first thing is in terms of what's possible. And this is so important because you won't really ask for something you don't think is possible to, for God to do. And again, we all around long enough to say, oh yeah, I believe anything's possible, but you, what do you really believe in your heart? What are you really trusting God for? What do you, what do you expect? Remember, this is, the, this is the same God that Paul says he will do exceedingly, he can do, exceed, he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can think or ask. But you won't think or ask something, really, if you don't believe God can do it, let alone will do it. Okay. That's the possibility. Second thing, reacting to emergencies. Mark chapter 4. Something suddenly goes wrong. COVID 19. I remember coming in here. we were been on vacation, we'd been in Florida. This was starting to stir up before we went. We come back, and it's starting to brew. And I, the first week, I remember getting uh, a report from somebody that one of the other churches had decided that when they come into church, they're going to ask people, don't hug one another, and we're going we're to, you know, sanitize the whole service. So we're going to do everything we can, and, but we're still going to have service. And we came in that Sunday, and this is when Dr. Nicole was here, and she's, we had, I had her address some things about it. And, we, you know, and we, we, all right, we think we got this. The next week, we're shut down. Now, for you, that's one thing. For a pastor, there's my congregation. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know if anybody's going to come back. What's going to happen to the finances? I mean, all these thoughts start swarming at you. And this is where you've, what you put in you matters because I've learned to look inside to the one who lives inside. And I just felt God begin to give me direction, give me a focus, calm me down. So we're going to look at a story here. This is a similar example. On the same day when evening had come so dark, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Okay. And when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. I'm not sure what that means. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, and it was already filling. Now, this is an emergency. And he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Now, just get this image. These boats are not huge. I've seen pictures of them. Some of you have been over there and you've seen them. They're not huge. And he's in the stern of the boat. He's asleep on a pillow. And there had to be water splashing up on him. It has to be splashing up into the boat enough so they're getting afraid again. And he's asleep. And so they wake him. Now, here's the same thing we've talked about. Visual information comes to you. Not just visual you're feeling the boat move up and down, back and forth. You're feeling the wet waves come in on you, the spray in your face. It's dark. And you're in the middle of the sea, this, this lake, but it's, the storms out there can be fierce. And your mind is drawing conclusions because your mind is designed to connect the dots together and create an image. And the image that's getting created in their mind is we're going down. We're not going to make it. Even though he said, let's go to the other side. So this information, so you get a phone call, you get a text, you get an email. Somebody shows up at your door with this bad news. You wake up in the morning and the refrigerator's not working. And you go downstairs to get the laundry out and the washing machine's not working. You go to start your car, and the car's not working. And it's all piling up on you, and it begins to connect. Your mind starts connecting dots together about what's going to happen to you. Or you, 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 you look at you, however you get your news, and you find out that gasoline prices is going way back up again. And you find out that inflation is going up, and you hear reports that you can't get toilet paper. Remember those days? And people are lined up in a panic that they're not going to be able to get toilet paper. What do they do? They're connecting dots, forming an image, and they're reacting to that image. And that's what's happening here. And this is really happening. Those waves are real. That wind is real. The water's real. The dark is real. And he's asleep. You ever feel like he was asleep in one of your storms? but maybe he knows something they don't know. Maybe he understands something they don't understand. Maybe in the middle of what you're going through and what looks so bad, he understands something you don't understand. Maybe he sees something you don't see. So what do they do? They react to the image that they have. And they awoke him, and look what they do. They say the same thing to him that Satan got Eve to believe. Teacher, don't you care that we are... They, They react to an image they now have of him and whether he cares about them or not. Imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and that's what's happening here. Old images that have not been renewed under pre- before the pressure, oh, they were fine. You're the Messiah. You're Lord. We'll follow you. We trust you. But now the pressure gets on. We talked about that when we went through Job. We did a little series on why. Under the pressure, you find out what's really inside. And now, what they revert to is the old image that they have. It's not fully renewed. And he said, Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? They're not so concerned about him. Don't you care that we're perishing? Next verse. And he arose. He rebuked the wind. <laughs> that must have been a scene. He gets up, gets to the bow of the boat. He just says, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a calm. Did I give you another verse? And he said to them, Thank you for waking me up. Uh, We'd have gone down if you hadn't awoken me, and I'd have drowned and wouldn't even know what was happening, and I'd have died before my time. Oh, thank you so much for waking me up, and I'm sorry I was asleep in this crisis. I should have been there for you. No, he rebukes them. Why? Are you so fearful, but, Lord? I know you were asleep and you didn't see it, but there, there was a storm. We're in a storm. And it it's calm now. The waves—they were coming in the boat. See the pillow you were on. You know, it's wet, isn't it, Lord? You were asleep. You didn't see what we saw. He says, "But well, why were you so? Why? Were, why were you so fearful? I am convinced that Jesus could not." Understand fear. It didn't compute up here. Why? Because he didn't think in the terms that our fallen mind thinks in. He thinks in terms of his God, his Father, who will never leave him or forsake him. He thinks in terms of his God, who has sent him to this earth to die on a cross at a certain time, not in the middle of a lake in a storm. He thinks in terms of a guy who can walk on water. So when you can walk on water, whether the boat sinks or not really isn't that critical. He doesn't think in their terms because he thinks in the terms that God thinks at because he has no strongholds in his mind that exhaust themselves against the knowledge of God. How is it? That you have no faith. He was constantly frustrated with the fact that they had no faith. Why? He couldn't understand it because he knew what God is like. He knew what his father's like. That's why he says in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about prayer, he says, You notice most of the things he teaches about prayer have nothing to do with your needs? He says, Because don't you know? Your father knows what you need. Before you ask. Why? Because he's always thinking about you. He's made provision for you. He wants you to ask. He stands at the tomb of Lazarus. They're always crying. He was crying for the women. They're moaning. There's a funeral going on, and they're all gathered around. And he knows, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he says, Father, I'm saying this out loud so they'll know you did this. Because I know, this is what he knew about God. I know you always do what I ask you to do. He had an image of God who was faithful to do whatever Jesus asked him to do. We've got to move on. Matthew chapter 26 <laughs> How you handle an emergency. He's about to be arrested. Now his betrayer had given them a sign with Judas. Whomever I kiss, that's the one who sees him. And immediately they went, to, went up to Jesus and said, he said, and he said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. This is the betrayer's kiss. And Jesus said to friend, why have you come? And they came and laid hands on Jesus, and of course the other disciples around him. Now keep in mind, they came into this city with a triumphant parade, hailing him as the king. And now only a few days later, everything's falling apart. This man is their security. They've left everything to follow him. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's come to deliver Israel. And now he's being arrested by the Roman soldiers. Or the palace guard, excuse me. He's being arrested. And they don't know whether they're next because they've been identified with him. Suddenly, one of them was with Jesus stretches out his hand, we know from another account this is Peter, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. He's trying to fight off and defend Jesus and himself. So here's this emergency. Suddenly, Jesus, their leader, is being arrested and carried off, and Peter interprets this, we've got to do something. So he reverts back to his own human thinking, is we have to fight back. Oh boy, could I do some teaching on that. So he pulls out his sword and he strikes the high priest servant's ear and cuts it off. And Jesus said, Thank you, Peter, for defending me. Everybody else, pull out your swords and let's fight them off. No, he said, Peter, put your sword back in its place. For all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. The next one's so great. Do you think I cannot now pray to my Father? This is what Jesus understood. Jesus knew what could happen. He knew what was available to him. He knew what his Father would do. Don't you think that I could now pray to my Father and he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Don't you? See? You're not looking at what... You don't see what I see. It's not because I'm being overtaken against my will... This is the will of the Father. Peter was always struggling with that. Okay. How then, could the, so how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen? One more thing we'll cover. We could cover many more. That's emergencies. Response to need. Oh, this is good. John chapter 6. This applies to all of us. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw signs which he performed on those who were diseased. He's healing people. And when Jesus went up on a mountain, he sat there with his disciples. And now Passover, Feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming to him, he said to Philip, where are we going to get bread to eat? These, that these people may eat? But he said this, look at this, to test him. So, Jesus is trying to teach them something here. For him, he knew himself what he was going to do, would do. Okay, keep going. Philip answered, Lord, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone that should get have a little. So, here's, they're looking at, here's the, emerg- here's the situation. They've got 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. There may be 20,000 people here out in the wilderness. And Jesus has raised the challenge. We need to feed these people. They're thinking in natural human reasoning. What do we have? Let's take an inventory of what we have. And Philip must have already done this because he says, we don't have enough money to go buy food for them. And if we did, even if we did have enough, they'd only get a little See, they're thinking in terms of what they can do, and their biggest hope is maybe to provide just a little bit for them, an hors d'oeuvre. God doesn't think that way. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, they're all coming up with their ideas, there's a lad here, he's got five barley loaves and two fish, (laughs) but what are they among so many? So they're looking at what they have, to determine what Jesus can do. And Jesus said, make the people sit down where there are much grass in place. So the men sat them down by numbers of 5,000. That's the men. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he gave given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And in the other accounts, they said, we don't have enough here. He says, well, take what you have and bring it to me. And he distributed to the disciples, and disciples to those sitting down, and likewise the fish as much as they wanted, not a little bit, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with a little boy's lunch after 20,000 people were fed. 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that were left by those who had eaten Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus said, said, Truly, the prophet who is to come into the world. They've now got it. They've now got their mind renewed to what Jesus and God can do. Not quite. Let's go over to Mark chapter 8. Is that where I told you to begin, verse 14? Oh, I'm sorry. What he starts out saying here is he starts teaching them. He said, beware of the leaven, that's yeast, of the Pharisees and of Herod. So he's, he's giving them a spiritual lesson. He's teaching them, beware of the leaven, that's the pride, that's yeast, pride. Yeast causes something that, to, to increase in size but not substance. It puffs up. So it's talking about pride. Beware of the pride of the, of, the, of, the, of the Pharisees, which is the religious method of thinking, their process of thinking. And beware of the leaven or the pride of error, which is the political system for solving problems. Beware of it. And they look and say, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They didn't have any more than one loaf with them in the boat. So they're hearing this lesson and they're interpreting in terms of lunch. Jesus is talking about an important spiritual principle and they're worried that they didn't bring enough food for lunch. So they didn't miss it by much. So he charged them saying, take heed of the bread, Oh, eleven the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Herod. I got it out of order, okay. Keep going. And they reasoned among themselves saying, oh, it's because we don't have enough bread. Now the word... Go back there a second. The word reasoned is the same Greek word as casting down imaginations. It's a system, a method of thinking. It's a pattern of thoughts. It's the world's pattern of thoughts about what God can do, what God's willing to do, about what God's character and nature... And he said... They they were reasoning among themselves because they said, we have no bread. We don't have enough. Look at how Jesus handles this. And Jesus, being aware of this, say, why do you reason because you have no bread? Don't you yet perceive or understand? Don't you get it yet? He's confronting the images and the strongholds in their mind about what God will do for them and whether God can take care of them or not. Here they are. They're out in the boat. They've only got one loaf of bread, which obviously they're not going to share with each other. And they're worried that Jesus is talking about having lunch and they don't have enough. And they're worried about it. They're anxious about it. Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Don't you perceive or yet understand? Look at this. Is your heart still Hardened. See, they have had opportunity to change the way they think, to renew their mind, and apparently they've chosen not to. And Jesus is warning them when you don't renew your mind, your heart begins to get hardened to who God is and what God can do for you. Having eyes to see and ears to hear, don't you hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves and fed the 5,000, how many baskets of fragments did you take up? He said, wait a minute, guys. You were there. He used them to distribute the little boy's lunch to 20,000 people. They They watched this multiply. Whether it was in the master's hands or in their hands, they saw a little boy's lunch multiply into far more than 20,000... I got a woman when I was first saved was in a Bible study with her, and we were talking about this. She says, well, the miracle was that Jesus broke it into just little pieces. I said, then that's a bigger miracle because they were all filled and they left with 12 baskets full. But see, she's trying to squeeze what Jesus did into human reasoning. It's like, oh, that has to be a ghost because a man can't walk on water. Jesus is confronting the strongholds and the images that were in their mind that were limited in terms of what God will do for you, how God will take care of you, God will provide for you. God will protect you. God will defend you. He is faithful to the covenant promise that he made, just as he was to to David when he challenged Goliath. So he said, weren't you there? You guys brought the baskets home. How many of them were there? Twelve. Oh, and you were... By the way, I did it another time. And remember I broke seven for four thousand? So I've done this twice. And how many baskets full of fragments by the way, did you pick up and carry? So they're not just, you know, sitting on the fringes. They've been an integral part of these miracles and they're not getting it. And he's warning them your heart's beginning to harden so that you don't receive the change in the image of what God is like. Seven, keep going. How is it? He can't, he can't, how is it that you do not yet understand? How is it? So what does this mean for us? I suspect that every one of us here and watching online tonight, there's some situation in your life that you're facing and you don't know what you're going to do. It may be with a family member, it may not be your finances, it may not be your health, it, it may not be an aspect in your personal life, but it may be a family member. It may be a child, it may be a grandchild, it may be a parent, it may be a marriage. It may be friends. It may be a job that you need. It may be some situation that looks to you absolutely, absolutely overwhelming. And you're in fear. And what that fear does is it shuts you down inside so that you have trouble hearing and seeing what God will do because that fear eventually hardens your heart. Fear is a weapon of Satan, and it's not a casual weapon that he uses. So when you look at that situation, there's information getting into your mind through your eyes, your ears, maybe your senses. and And your mind is interpreting what's possible here. What can happen? And the question is, are you analyzing that? Are you responding to that based on your human experience and your human reasoning about what's possible? Or are you renewing your mind who God is what's possible with God who created the universe with just words let there be who sustains your life for every moment that you've been alive we pray every breath that you breathe but that's literally true every moment you're alive has been sustained by God's word who surrounds you with his loving kindness and tender mercies who goes before you to make a way. This God who's promised that he'll cause all things to work together for good. No matter how bad it may seem to you, he'll work it together for good for those who love God and are called to his purpose. The God who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for you. How will he not also together with you give you all things? If he didn't withhold his own son, why would he withhold anything else? And let's think about what is it that God has as a resource for you. It starts with recognizing the human limitations because our minds are fallen minds. We do just what Adam and Eve sold themselves out to. We think in terms of human limitations, human experience, and human possibilities. And Satan wants to lift those up as strongholds that exalt themselves against really knowing what God can do. And here's what's at stake in that. Things God wants to do for you in your life, to deliver you and to set you free. Things God wants to do in your family, to turn things around and to deliver and set free and to bring healing and wholeness. But things God wants to do through us in the world out there that will literally blow your mind, your old, unrenewed mind, blow the limitations off of it. Say, well, that can't happen. I can give you, we don't have time tonight, I can give you story after story of men of God and women of God who've learned to do that and taken the limits off of what God can do because they were willing to renew their mind to what God says about himself. Remove their mind to what God says he'll do. To renew their mind to God's character, God's nature, especially as seen in Jesus. Jesus said at the end, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Let's pray. Father, we hear hear so often that because you love us, you, you love us and accept us right where we are. And we know that's true, but we also know from your word you love us enough not to leave us where we are. And just as Jesus trained his disciples and challenged his disciples through the Holy Spirit in the circumstances of our lives, you want to challenge us and train us so that we'll learn to look at the situations in our lives, not in terms of CNN, not in terms of Fox News, not in terms of our church or theology, but in terms of what you say you will do what your word says you're like. We look at things you've already done in our lives. We look at ways that you've already delivered us and always already provided for us when it looked like there was no answer. And you don't do that on isolated occasions. It's your character and your nature. And so we come to you tonight, Father, as people that are here tonight because they really want to know you they really want to learn they really want to grow and mature and and i believe tonight you've met us here and now we must be doers of this word and not hearers only father remind us in the circumstances that will come up tonight tomorrow this week it may be a, a threatening it may be an emergency it may be It may be some crisis. It may be a need that we don't know how it's going to be met. Bring back to us the things that we have seen in our heart tonight. And begin to show us as we open up to the steps of faith that we can take. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, we want to pray over offerings that have been brought here, either brought here tonight.